This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What is up, Power Producer Nation? Welcome to Power Producers Podcast where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we are doing that today on the day before. A group of us CBKs are heading down to take over Key West one time. Mm, And on the podcast, I've got my right-hand man, my brother from another mother, Mr. Josh Gurley, and we're going to talk about taking stuff. We're stealing it right out from underneath people's feet, and those people are our competition. So we're talking we get about into... straight insurance sales today, right? Uh, no, not <laughs> at all. Not one chance that that's even going to come up. But before we get into that, man, I mean, we've had you on before, so you've already given the whole Lou, Lou Gurley road spiel. What I want you to talk about you know, real quick is just to sort of give everybody a little bit of background on your career as a producer um, and kind of where you're at right now. And then we're just going to dive into some things that I know are going to get under some people's skin and I don't care. So, so I've been in the, uh, in the industry like 10 years and, uh, came from, you know, the agency business, the company side and came back to the agency business, uh, seven years ago, 2015, came back on a mission to sell middle market commercial insurance. And, uh, I've had a ton of success doing that using a few different techniques I've learned through the years and uh, became a partner in my agency about four years ago. And uh, it has just been a really amazing ride, especially since I was on the podcast the last time. Um, it's just been amazing how many people have, have reached out to me, they've connected with my story, and, and they've just, I mean, I had somebody call me on my birthday. I turned 37 a couple of weeks ago, and I got a voicemail from somebody, and it just said, hey, man, I've been following you and the stuff you're saying and I love what you're saying. I'm new to the industry. And I just wanted to call you and tell you that you've encouraged me a lot. And and I just thought, you know, I have no idea who this person is. I've never met this person. Um, <laughs> but Hey, can that, I tell you something that's encouraging to me right now? I literally just got a text from Doug Benz that's a picture of him and his wife. Selfie, just like this, in front of the Key West Airport, my friend. They are rolling in, and the groundwork is being laid. Well, that is, that is what's up. And and so I was looking this morning because me and you, David, we text usually pretty early in the morning, six or seven o'clock. And I saw this morning that we have 101 mutual friends on Facebook. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, and I think they're all insurance people. And I was not friends. I hope so. <laughs> I, was, I, was not, I was not friends with any of these people before 12 months ago. So, um and really, for me, just the opportunity to share with and encourage other people that are in our business. I mean, it all started on on the podcast. So I have you, you and Kyle to thank for that. You're well, welcome, let me tell man. you what I like. I just <laughs> yeah, know, I need to say that. I just I contribute so much. <laughs> you know, you know what my favorite thing is when I get friend requests from people on Facebook, especially like the obvious like 
come have sex with me on WhatsApp, <laughs> you know, requests that I get nonstop, right? I get them all the time. And my wife is like, I'm sitting here showing them to her. But you know what, insurance people? Some of y'all are friends with them, and I know who you are. And I'm going to have to make some real serious decisions about who's going to stay on my friends list based on some of these skanks you're connecting with online. I don't get it. What's up with that? I mean, you're opening your profile and everybody else's to immediate hacking when you do that. It's crazy. Crazy. But Josh Gurley's not like that. He probably doesn't get any of them. You know what? I'm I'm pretty... Uh... I, I try to fly under the radar a little bit on social yeah, media. Yeah, some of these I, people need to find Jesus, same. man. <laughs> I, I've got I've gotten a little more active uh, just because of the protege and some of the stuff that I that I've been putting out there. But you know, I try to I try I don't have I, my life is not that interesting, so I just try to fly under the radar. My <laughs> life got real interesting at about seven thirty last night when Ethan let go of a child's five iron off the third deck of Top Golf and it just went <laughs> flying out into the middle of the fairway if you can call it. The club it that. went further than the ball. Oh my gosh. Dude, <laughs> unbelievable. Like we are the worst awesome. train wreck to ever go to Top Golf. Ever. I mean, I'm sure it was an absolute circus. It was, and I mean, it had nothing to do with my golf game this time, you know. So, well, that's hard to anyhow. believe. <laughs> well, you know, now that I got the positive news that I get to have both yeah. of my shoulders <laughs> replaced, there will be no <laughs> golf swinging for a while. I was gonna say, whatever. Anyways, that, that answers a lot of questions people may have had over the years, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess, man. Why your swing is so jacked, but that uh, that doesn't help well, our listen, black diamond, uh, you know, trip. Or no, it doesn't. plans or whatever. Um, so here's the thing. There's a topic out there that is really controversial mm. amongst the masses, I would say. And I got people like my friend Charles Specht who hang their hat on it. I got people who go in and post on the other side of the spectrum that my little friend is a dirty trick. The lazy agents use to steal my clients. Mm. And I'm talking about the BOR, baby. I am going deep on the BOR today. Here's what I want to ask you people that don't understand this. Have you ever had a job anywhere else where somebody can maintain that job and not do it? Have you ever worked in a job where you can show up and collect? Let's just say you're a grocery stocker, right? You're a grocery stocker, and you show up every day, but you never stock the shelves. You might put a can or two up. You may every once in a while dust something off. You may think about looking for expired product when it comes up. Probably once every six months, you'll come by and you'll visit your aisle and get to know it a little bit better. But you don't have any worries at all because... Unless somebody else comes in and puts in an application and says they'll work for $2 an hour less than you will, your job's safe, man. It's a price-based hire. I'm going to continue to stand here and do a crappy job every single day. I don't have to do anything other than show up, and I don't have to worry about it because I know it's going to be very difficult for somebody to come in and do what I do for $2 less an hour. And that's what it's going to take for the grocery store to fire me. Right? Does that happen? No. So why does it happen in the insurance industry? Why is it, why is it wrong? So number one, I think people need to understand something. I'm going to get the shady pay. Uh, let, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. Are, B, yeah. are there BORs that are used the wrong way? Yes. 100% of the time. 100%. There are there are BORs that are used the wrong way. Who are the repeat offenders? Shady payroll companies, most of the time. Shady payroll company that comes in and says, hey, we're going to onboard you, and we're going to give you the HR platform, and we're going to take care of uh, everything. Now, if you want us to handle your workers' comp uh, payments, we'll do that for you. We just need you to sign this paperwork to make sure everything happens, and they, they slide that through. Mm-hmm. Then you have some shady agents, right? And those agents will go out and they'll wait till the last minute and then they'll go in and they'll stir up a bunch of crap and they'll slide a BOR in and they really haven't done much of anything to get hired. That's not who I'm talking about, people. 
the agent of record letter, broker a record letter, whichever acronym you want to use for it is an inanimate object in and of itself. It is a tool. I can have a hammer in my toolbox. I can use that hammer to build a house for Habitat for Humanity. I could also use it to go crack somebody's skull, right? <laughs> is, is it the hammer's fault? No. Is it so a nine-pound hammer? Head to be a... Dude, I prefer the 12-pound hammer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, is there even such a thing? I don't know. Hey, nine-pound hey, hammer. Hey, so Rayleigh Montaigne, I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard of this guy, but, but he says that a man needs something he can hold on to, a nine-pound hammer or a woman like you. And I know that because my wife and I, when we got married, we walked down the aisle to, to Rayleigh Montaigne. So there you go. That's all I'm. That's all I'm telling you. Is, is and you we, didn't have a nine pound hammer, did you? No, I, I had a woman. I had a beautiful. Had a boy. So. Come on, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, man. I, I don't know if this is going on YouTube or not, but I just took my hat it off is. and scratched my head because I'm, 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 I want to. I'm ready to unleash. Let's hear yeah, it. I mean, I just think there's a lot of misinformation out there. I think some of it is borne by people who are in the captive world that come into the independent channel. And the other one, I hate to say it, people, some of y'all are just lazy. Y'all are lazy insurance salespeople. All you want to do is write policies. You don't, you know, oh, I got another client call this afternoon. Oh, okay, that kind of goes with the territory. That's why you get residual income, right? It's not like the Cutco salesman. You sell the knives and walk away, and he doesn't have to be there to sharpen them when they need sharpened. He doesn't have to be there to cut your meat for no, you. No, they stay sharp forever. Oh, I knew you'd know. <laughs> but, I mean, come on, people. Let's talk about this. And, and, and listen, if you're not in the middle market, you get a free pass, okay? You get a free pass from me. Because in small business, this isn't really relevant. But if you're in small business, unless you're planning on moving to the middle market, you're probably not listening to the podcast anyhow. So I'm talking to all of you guys and ladies out there that are in the middle market producing that have a beef with BOR. Because if you've got a beef with BOR, you got a beef with me. Period. Because that's how I get hired. I never get hired based off of the insurance transaction. Not one time. Why would I wait until... 30 days or 60 days before a renewal to bring a new client on. Just not going to happen. I'm going to go out whenever I want, as long as they're willing to meet with me. And I'm going to talk to them about what we do for them. I'm going to talk to them about the value proposition we have. I'm going to talk to them about the results that we have gotten for people just like them in our agency. And I'm going to make them want to have that and they know they're not getting it because they're only getting a three-ring binder with paper in it every year and a six-month checkup. True. What you say, girly? You're a BOR. So the, the BOR is, is one of the, the highest, I think, forms of flattery that you can get in the business. But Because what somebody is saying is, is like, I want to fire who I'm with and I want to hire you. I think most people in our business, they spend all their time trying to get hired, trying to tell we've been around for 70 years or whatever. I don't think half my clients know my agency's name, right? I mean, they know that they buy this stuff from Josh mm -hmm. and, or they know they buy this stuff from Andrew or Waylon or somebody else that's in our office and they don't even care half the time about any of that information. And so if you don't take the step to get somebody fired, then, then you're not going to be able able to get hired. And so, you know, the BOR is an immoral thing, right? It, it, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just, it's just a tool, like you said. And so I think when you get it, it is a form of flattery and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And, and what I do is when I explain to somebody uh, what a BOR is, I said, let me tell you what this, what this actually does. This, this means that your current representation is fired and I am getting hired. And in the BOR letter that we use, I, I pulled it up on my computer. It just says, I, owner of company, fully understand that I'm appointing HM advisors to represent me in good faith to obtain and service insurance coverage I need and request. And the authority shall remain in effect until I change it in writing. And it says, my desire this to make this decision is based upon... And then we'll list a reason. And on this BOR, it says, because of umbrella endorsement 8-UMC-56ED, edition 8-2011, is hmm. on my umbrella policy. And I know, because Josh knows this industry really well, 
that you will remove this endorsement. And so I think when you do that and you you lay out those reasons to have people fired, it's just a form of flattery. And uh, and I think it's something that I have used throughout my career um, with great success. Yeah, I think part of it is, again, it goes back to the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am mentality that agents have out there to go out, get a quick hit, do some quotes, come in with a lower price because that's what we've trained people that we're going to do. And they don't want to invest the time into educating those people about what's really going on in their organization, right? I mean, I can talk about insurance, but why? I don't even have to. I don't ever have to go in and talk to somebody about insurance. I can look at their loss runs and know they have a lag time problem. I can look at their loss runs and know they don't have return to work or recover at work. Well, those are the people that are getting mad about the BOR, right? Are the ones who are going in talking about insurance and selling on price. I don't think the people who go in and, and have the value proposition and are delivering that are the ones that, you know, get, get, uh, all weird about the BOR. No, because those people aren't selling insurance to begin with. They have right. their own value proposition. And guess what, people? If you do, I'm probably not calling on your account. So you're safe. Yeah. So I called somebody I called somebody this morning. Uh, one of the thing that I did to get ready for this podcast is I got to my office and I made 28 cold calls. And I'm sitting here looking at my sales force. And I was like, you know, you know what? I, to get fired up, I'm going to make some cold calls. So I talked to this one guy and his insurance uh, work comp renewed about three months ago. And so I called him and I said, hey, how's your audit going? He said, terrible. My audit's going terrible. And and, and so it prompted me to end up getting a meeting with this guy. But it was like, I never talked about insurance. I didn't use the word, hey, I want to sell you insurance or sell you an insurance policy. I just said, hey, I know that your workers comp expired three, three months ago. And I wanted to check and see how your audit went. And he just went into this long story about how his audit went terribly. And at the end of the day, it's causing, he's got a soft cost associated with that audit because he's having to deal with maybe his accountant, his, you know, pulling information and all this. His own time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in his own time. And so like, what is that? That's a fireable offense. I mean, what is this guy's time worth? I mean, we might as well take what he paid for work comp and then add all these hours of his time at maybe $500 an hour or whatever, whatever the guy makes. To that, and all of a sudden, he spent five or ten thousand more dollars on, on his risk management because he's having to fool with his audit. And so, in my opinion, is that a fireable offense? Hundred Absol- percent, absolutely, it's a fireable offense. And so, it just makes it really easy to say, "Well, let me tell you how your audit should go, right? How how this thing should work." Yeah. And and again, you're just you're just, it's just death by a thousand cuts, and and the person on the other end is uh, is just digging their own grave uh, by, by doing that. So I just think that um, presenting a BOR in that case is something that um, is, is a really appropriate thing to do. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I mean, look, I, I use the hourly rate argument all the time. Number one, what, what was, what's the problem with the audit? Did he get into any of that? Do you, do you even know? I mean, because when I make that phone call to people, and I, you know, that is one of my number one wedges, like especially if you're a, a, in, in any kind of a contracting class, I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you about audit and I'm going to ask you about certificates every single time because I know I've got one of those two is going to hit, right? Subs, I mean, you can literally yeah. say, hey, talk to me about your certificate turnaround time. Talk to me or hey how did how'd your audit go or how is your audit going you mm-hmm. know for a fact that you're going to make progress with that and so i'm just interested like it, it, so then my follow up is you know i know this may sound weird but how how can i help like how can i help you i i specialize in getting people through these sticky situations your time's valuable obviously my time's valuable too but i'm willing to invest it to help you cuz i think you'll like the results and ultimately, make you'll decide you want to do business with me. But for right now, let's table that and talk about how I can help you get through what you're dealing with. So I'm I'm interested. What did he get into anything at all about what the problem what the problems are? You know, he he didn't get into a whole lot of specifics about it. But I'm sure it has it's going to have something to do with splitting payroll versus in, you know in different classes and keeping up with payroll records. I mean, just assuming based on what the guy's doing, I think that's mm-hmm. it. So I just offered. I said I said, look, I'll be glad to come. Uh, you know, set up a call with you, meet with you in person, um, 
and or I can, I'll can i be glad to send you a copy of my audit work, worksheet. And it'll just walk you through, hey, what's remuneration, what's not remuneration. Um, it'll talk about some overtime rules and different things like that in some ways that you can you can avoid getting overcharged on your audit. And so I sent that over, over to him and he said, look, I'm going to get the first draft of this audit back from, from the company in the next week. He was like, I'll send it over to you and I'll let you take a look at it. So that's kind of where I left it with this person. But again, if this audit is, is, is messed up and we can go clean this thing up, reclassify some payroll to where it should be, then why should I have to wait uh, a year for, for this account? I mean, I, I can't, I don't want him to have a split mod. And, and so I, I don't really want to move in midterm. So at the end of the day, I think a, a, a VOR is an appropriate way for him to hire me. I agree. And, you know, in that situation, too, I would look at where that audit is right now. Right. And so if he says, oh, well, I'm, you know, they've got me dinged and they want me to pay fifty thousand dollars additional premium. And I would set, I'd cut the deal with them that, hey, are you willing to split whatever the recovery is with me? Fifty fifty. If I can get you down to only Owen 10 and you end up saving 40 from where you're at right now, are you comfortable cutting me a check for 20 grand? And we'll look at what that looks. And because I do a good bit of my business on service fee, I'll let them know up front. I'll, I'll look at adjusting the fee going into the insurance renewal so that we can make sure that my compensation's in line with what it should be. But I also want to protect myself and my work because I'm not necessarily interested in being a nonprofit, right? <laughs> I got to get paid. <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, when you have the flexibility of operating on fee instead of tying your compensation to a, an insurance product's commission, you can make decisions like that. That's one of the reasons why I love selling off cycle. I can say, you know what, you're gonna, I'm going to cost you $50,000 annually, and normally that would be paid by the insurance company, and I know that you've already taken care of your insurance for the year, but i got to have like 10 Gs. i got I to have 10 grand up front to get all of the stuff going that we talked about, and instead of you paying me 50 you know, for the year over your renewal, well, let's, let's talk about cutting that back to 40. We'll do four quarterly payments of 10,000 bucks, then this will just be like a fifth payment, but you'll get me for the quarter instead of not, and we'll be able to make forward progress on our initiatives. And I'm pretty sure you'll be happy with the results on your insurance renewal as a result of us having that, that ability to work out in front. So, I mean, that's sort of off the um, topic of the BOR, but not really because that's how you set it up, right? Because I can't go in and affect change in an organization. I can't really deal with claims. I can't really deal with audit issues or anything like that unless I'm the agent. Mm -hmm. Now I've got some ninja tactics that I may or may not have used in the past, you know, to, to be able to get around that where I'm technically hired as the outsourced risk manager for the companies that I work with. And I have an email address that reflects that. And my email tagline or my email signature reflects that I'm the risk manager for that organization. So that allows me the ability to negotiate. And, and technically, I am. Um, I don't go in 40 hours a week to do that job, but I'm constantly representing my clients virtually and many times in person when I do it. But you really need to have the BOR in order to do that. And I think that that's where people lose it, right? Because they don't realize that they, well, they realize they just got fired, but they think there's something dirty in that. Well, you didn't do any work. I've already put the renewal together. Okay, I'm gonna have to do that too. <laughs> That's I, I didn't I didn't get hired I mean, because you. Yeah, I mean it's not like putting the renewal together really took any effort. I mean it basically is. Oh, done, Kyle, it's very laborious. Yeah, well, yeah, filling out excellent you know accord forms the best, but um, but but yeah, I mean it's not like that was a super strenuous process. I mean they might have filled out a sent over a supplemental app for them to fill out and put updated values for the exposures, but I mean. What like, come on! You know what? If I ever if I have an account that gets BOR'd away from me, you know who I'm pissed off at? I'm pissed off at myself because that means I didn't do my job, and I understand that, right? Yeah. Now that doesn't happen. You know, has it happened over the course of my career? It absolutely has. Has some of it been shady? Some of it absolutely has. And in one or two cases, I got my eye off the ball and lost accounts earlier on in my career. And guess what? I've made sure I do everything I possibly can to not have that happen again. Um, so. 
if, if it were to happen, I'd have to sit back and look and say, okay, what does the risk management action plan for this account say? Did I do everything that I had? Number one, did we identify everything we could that would cause this person to leave in the baseline risk assessment? Did it make it to the risk management action plan? Did I maintain the monthly updates on that RMAP? Did I do what I said I was going to do in those monthly updates? And have we made forward progress where they can see tangible results? And if the answer to all of those things is yes, then there's got to be another reason, you know, political, relative, something that, that I would have been displaced, but it wouldn't be for me losing my job. But if I look at any one of those things and I say, nope, you know what? I dropped the ball right here. Guess what? I deserve to lose the account. It's a fireable offense, period. I'm not going to be a whiner. You know, I, hell, I, I, I don't know that there's any worse whiner than somebody who didn't do their job and lost an account on an AOR. Like they whine and lick their wounds. It's like the freaking humane society at feeding time. It's it's crazy. I mean, I, I just I can't stand it. So Josh, you were gonna say something. I stepped in. I apologize. Well, hey, I, I think the BOR really helps people come to their own conclusions. But because at the end of the day, like people they want to come in and they want to quote and hope or do what I call hump the leg and beg somebody. <laughs> Humping the leg's the best. <laughs> They they just want to beg beg somebody to you know give them a quote and save them save them a nickel and and expect that to be a reason to do business. But I think the way that I present the VOR, people they really come to that conclusion themselves. I mean I I mean I had somebody literally last week say, well what if I'm not unhappy with with the insurance company? I mean it sounds like all we really have to do here is just clean a few things up. I said that's it. That's it. And it was a company that was a manufacturing company. They they uh, had a few other things that they did as far as some, you know, repairs and different things like that on the general liability. They had a parts division. I mean, there were several things that, that we could just move some sales around in based on the, you know, the CLM. And, uh, and it did it amount to a ton of money? No, it didn't amount to a ton of money, but it was a symptom, right? is a symptom of a greater problem, which was the person had not, the, the prior broker had just not checked the insurance policy. And maybe it adds up to $5,000 in GL premium, but at the end of the day, that allows me to continue to turn that knife and just say, well, what, what about this? How do you know they hadn't checked your policy? And then guess what? They pull out their work comp policy and there's no drug-free discount on the current <laughs> term. There's no drug-free discount on the prior term. And, and there's no drug-free discount on the renewal that they were holding right in front of my face. And the only reason that I need to ask that question was because the discount uh, was framed in, in a picture when I when I walked into the business. I mean, that's how I get drug-free. We're a drug-free workplace. Yeah. And then yeah. there's no, no premium discount on the policy. Yeah. And, and so, like, when you start presenting these things to people, it's like, wait a minute. So they're just not putting this deal together in a way that they could be putting the deal together? It's like, absolutely. And they're like, man, so instead of having to go through new loss control, new adjusters, new underwriting, all the stuff that you have to do with mm -hmm. a brand new company, you can just clean up a few of these things and I can, and you can handle a policy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Especially on the workers' so we'll, comp, way easier. Yeah, and they just say, hey, let's do it. And, yeah. and that way, like I said, it's them coming to their own conclusion, wh whoever their current representation is, it just becomes obvious that they need to be dismissed. And so the OR. Hey, Josh, how many pages is the workers' comp policy? Six. Yeah. So I guess my question is, if you can't get a six-page policy right, <laughs> what are you doing with that ENS professional liability for that company? How are you handling the cyber? How, how much attention are you paying to all of the other stuff when you can't even get a freaking drug-free discount on a statutory policy that's six pages long? Right. Like yeah. there's no reason for that. And so, again, you know, people sometimes wonder, well, why do you lead with workers comp? Well, because it's low hanging fruit, because it's six pages long and everybody thinks that they can put it on autopilot. It's going to do what it needs to do and mm -hmm. they don't have to lift a finger to do anything with it. But here's the next part of that conversation.
listen, I, you know, I really appreciate you trusting me with the workers comp and in the interest of consolidation and just making your life easier. Do you really want to have to go and request certificates from multiple agencies? I want to make sure you understand that I agency can do everything for all of your other lines of coverage that we've done for the workers compensation. So I think it would make a lot of sense if we did a full review of what you have in place right now. And we're going to come back to you with some recommendations. But really, if you want to sever ties, I think that it makes sense for us to just represent you across the board because that's how my agency works. We we either represent you or we don't. And so, you know, we start having that conversation. But I is mean, there any pushback the you get on that ever? I mean, uh, no. I think I know the answer to this, but I just wondered if other people no, were I mean, having you, that usually question. Yeah, usually they are so lathered up by the time we're done mm -hmm. that they're, right. you know, they're ready for me to drive them over to the other agent's office and help them, <laughs> you know, beat them down. But, yeah. you know, um, that's part of it. But the other thing is, for an agent, a record letter to work. So, so I want to be very clear on this. And I know Josh does a good job of this because we've talked about it a number of times. But there's a couple things. Number one, you got to know when to ask for it, right? You, you have to know the right way to ask for it. You have to set the table correctly to know, okay, this is, this is when you're out deer hunting and you hear them, you know, rooting and, and snorting and everything all around the stand but they haven't come out in out to the open where you can fire yet and you got to be patient you have to wait right if i if i shoot with a bunch of deer around my stand the only thing i'm going to see is them running the other direction i got to wait until they get out and they're in my sights and you have to know that you have to set the table the right way and if you do that you'll understand okay this is how i get the other person fired and this is how i get hired but the other part of that is so Getting the BOR is easy. That's an emotional decision that you can use business logic to get done. Okay, that's probably the best way I can say it. Somebody's going to make a business decision, but many times it's also emotionally charged because they're angry, they're irritated, they're disappointed, whatever it is. And guess what? That's our job. Psychology is as much of a part of selling as the actual educational process is. But the thing is, just because you can get that part done, there's a percentage out there. I don't remember what it is. Kyle's, Kyle's going to expect me to say 66 or 67%. I don't know what it is, but there's out, there, there are, is a relatively high percentage of BORs that are executed, and then they don't stick, right? And the reason why is because as the agent that's coming in to take that account over, we didn't do a good job of preparing that prospect slash interim new client on what to expect the fallout to be. And just like Josh mentioned, he has a letter. I also have a letter. You can actually pull it from extra two minutes.com. It's one of the, um, one of the, the templates in there that you can pull, but it's really important, man. Talk a little bit about that. Like you need to let them know and you need it, it, And so for me, I want to paint the most gruesome picture possible. I want to let them know, look, your agent's not going to be happy about this. And you've really got two choices. You can let them find out from the insurance company, which is really going to have them running rabid. Or you can you can call and talk to them yourself and let them know or email them and let them know. But in, in the matter of pro professional courtesy, I think this really should be something that comes from you. And if you've never had that conversation before, then... I've got a few bullet points that I can share with you. I mean, every time I've got the, the breakup letter with the bullet points with the AOR prepared before I walk into an appointment. And if you talk about these things this way, then they're not going to bother you. But if you don't address this head on, they're going to come out and they're going to break out the biggest sob story that you can imagine. I got four kids. One, I mean, look, if it's me, I've got four kids. One of them's got special needs. My oldest just graduated from high school and I got to figure out how I'm sending him to college. The car's on the fritz and this is a big chunk of change, man. I've been with you for 15 years and this is how you're going to do me at the last minute right before renewal. I was counting on that money. Now Grayson's not going to be able to go to college the way that he thought he was. I'm not going to be able to deliver and you're going to make me look like a poor, horrible father as a result. 
None of that is relevant to the transaction, but that's exactly what they're going to do because the only way they're going to be able to fight an emotional decision is to make that decision to reverse it emotional as well. Mm -hmm. And they're very convincing. The incumbent has all the power. Even after you get that AOR signed, if it is not executed to 100% per, uh, just perfectly, that they reach out, fire that person, and tell them, look, we've made a decision to go in a different direction for our business. We've decided that it's more important for us to focus on total cost of risk than it is insurance premiums. And we understand that our total cost of risk has suffered because of the way that we have approached this in the past. While we appreciate the relationship that you've given us, we understand that you're not equipped based on previous behavior to help us move in the direction we've chosen to go. As a result, we are terminating our relationship with you and we have chosen to hire another firm. If in the future you feel that you are more adequately able to serve our needs, please feel free to reach out. But for the time being, I'm respectfully asking that you respect my decision and allow me to proceed in the best interest of my company. If you're an agent that lost a BOR and you reach out to that person immediately after that, you have just screwed yourself. You'll mm -hmm. never get in again. But you have to have that set up or you're going to be one of the people who goes in, slides a BOR in at the last second. You don't set the table the right way to get it. And you don't set the expectations correctly once you do. And that thing ain't going to stick. Yeah, I tell people that the next five to 10 days are not going to be real fun. Um, that, that they're going to give you every single excuse. They're going, to, they're going to pull the friend card. They're going to pull the, I was the best man in your wedding card. They're going to pull our wives or friends or, 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 you know, whatever. I mean, they're going to pull out all the stops, everything they can think of. Little Johnny plays baseball with, with whoever else. And one of the things that, that, that I ask people to do, in addition to what you said, David, is, to, is just to put the very last line of the email or the phone call is just say, and, and our decision is final. Because I think sometimes when psychologically when people say that, Especially when you have decisions you have to make that are that are anxious and you know you, you you feel like it's the right decision, but it's a tough one to make. I mean, we built a house last year, and I, I interviewed a couple people to build the house. And uh, when I had to tell somebody that they weren't going to be the person to to build my house, that was that was a tough decision for me because I, I knew. Uh, both of the people that I was looking at. and I had Why did to you make that decision? How did you make the decision for which one you were going to use? So one of the people, um, they gave me a full rendering, okay? And it was, we had a specific design that we wanted. We had we had kind of drawn it out. Well, he got an architect to, to create the house and, and I could see the outside of it. And the other person, they just gave me like this ballpark price and they said, if you want a drawing, you're going to have to pay 1500 bucks to get a drawing. And so I went to the person that gave me the drawing that I didn't pay anything for. And he said, well, we're willing to spend $1,500 because we, we feel like you're going to choose us if you can see what this final thing looks like. And the other person, they gave me a list and they said, all right, this is the standard things that we do. We use this quality flooring. We use this quality trim, whatever. And so I have all this information on one side and it's very well put together. I can see the final product. And on the other side, I have the buddy system and somebody just assuming that I'm going to buy this, get them to build a house because they're, they're the buddy and they wouldn't even really tell me what their fee was. And, and that, that bothered me because it was like, well, it may be 10% of this or 12% or you know, we'll just have to see. It's like, well, no, no, that's that's not how this can work. And so I made the decision based on who I thought was, you know, more professional, more prepared, could get the subs out there, could get it done in time, uh, giving me realistic expectations. But still, to tell somebody, hey, you did not get the deal, 
I mean, the night. But here's my I, here's here's my question. We didn't rehearse this. You had no idea what we were talking about when we got on this podcast, and you just described exactly what's wrong with the insurance industry. You got people who don't know what who, who aren't willing to share everything that they're doing. They don't paint a good big picture. They don't say, "I'm willing to invest in you on the front end because I know that if I do, you're going to be a loyal client to me." They're not going to be fully disclosing their pricing, and they're not fully disclosing what their compensation is. This this is insurance 101. I take business from people every single day for exactly the same reason that you chose the one contractor over the other one. And here, you know, listen, if people, if, if you haven't figured it out yet, your clients want to know how much you make, right? And if mm -hmm. you're scared to tell them, it's because you ain't doing your job, period. I have no problem walking into anybody that I represent and saying, this is what you pay me every single year. Many times they know because I'm billing them their fee directly and not taking commissions from a carrier. But even the ones we have to take commission for, like if it's workers' comp, it's obviously embedded in the state rates and there's no benefit to clients in Florida for being on a service fee on workers' comp because they're going to pay the same rate regardless. So we do take commission there, but I want them to know that. And I always tell them a couple of different times. I let them know that up front. I let them know that after a claim where I've saved them a ton of money because we we put the programs in place for return to work that got somebody back and kept it off the mod. And I let them know when I deliver their dividend check. My favorite thing to do is to take a client a big dividend check and show them that they got more back in a dividend than what, what they got. They paid me in a fee for the year. And most of the time, those dividends are only for 50% of what they earn because I know I'm going to be delivering another one a year from now because it's valued and delivered nine months after expiration and then another six months after that or another year after that, rather, depending on the carrier, they get the second half of it. I have clients mm. that I'm walking into that are paying me 50 grand a year to represent them and I'm taking them 75 to 100 in checks. How hard do you think it's going to be for them to fire me in that situation? Right. But it goes back to the fact the table was set correctly, the expectations were outlined, we delivered on those expectations, and now all we do is sit back and celebrate. There isn't pressure anymore. The only pressure happens is if something that comes from the unknown happens, and they know that I'm going to be there by their side 100% of the time to get them through it. Period. There's no difference in the buying decision. I don't care what you're buying. If, it's, if I'm going to go buy a new refrigerator, I can go to the local independently owned, like famous Tate's here in Tampa, right? Small chain, but it's Tampa owned. And I can talk to those people and they know nothing but appliances. Like they, they literally can go deep on every single one. Or I could go to Lowe's and Home Depot to buy my, my refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Where do you think I'm going to go? I'm going to go where I get educated. Well, you want to do this because here's what we found from the people we've sold to that have given us feedback. The energy consumption on this one is is da 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 da, da. And A lot of people have had problems with the ice maker on this one. We get a lot of warranty calls because they call us for it. You're getting all of this information. And you know what? Famous Tates is probably not cheaper than Lowe's. Right. Yeah. But that's who I, I, I mean, buy from. It's, right. And it, I mean, it's the same with any aspect of our life it comes down and we talk about it all the time and you just mentioned it but it comes down to setting the expectations and then just following through like that's all you have to do set the expect expectation let them know what's going to happen and then do it it's i mean it's not technical it's not hard if you promise that you're going to do something and add value in a certain way develop a, a training program for them you know a learning management system where you're going to put a certain policy in place or what have you just do it and then and then you're good Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like even, I mean, even with actual structure of insurance policies, I mean, when I talk to people about agreed amount on property insurance and, and they say, why am I having to increase this? I had this 80% coinsurance before. And I said, well, here, here's what this means. I'm like, we're telling the insurance company what is going to happen in advance of your claim. And that's why we're doing it 100% to value. That's why we're getting agreed amount. That's why we're getting a signed statement of values. That's why we're getting a BI worksheet done, signed and approved by the company, because that way when the claim happens, they're gonna we've already told them what's gonna happen in advance. And and I think that like so many people in our business, they're afraid to to push back against that prospect or push back against that client and and tell them, you know, really really what's good for them. Uh and, and I think that that goes to one thing that I've been thinking about a lot in the in our industry is just, you know, me trying to be a person that says, let's act in utmost good faith. Let's act, um, let's act with excellence and let's help manage those expectations for those people. And 
look, I don't know what it is about that, but for me, I think just being that transparent person and, and saying these kind of things to people and, and just cleaning up some, some things that are really easy and just using the, the rules that are available to me, like the tax code, I mean, it just makes, getting back to the BOR, I mean, it, it just makes it easier in, in reality. Well, look, man, look at the middle market. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the average middle market company has no idea that they are paying an agency between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 a year in commissions to represent them. They have no clue. And so that's why that's one of my number one wedges. You know, I walk in, hey, uh, what kind of loss control resources are you getting? Do you have a part-time risk manager that comes in? Do you have a dedicated safety resource? How about your claims? How's that being handled? Who's your liaison? How often are you having reviews? And I start asking about all these things, and I know they're not getting any of it. And then I drop the hammer. Well, out of curiosity, what are you getting? You do realize that the agency who's placing this for you is being compensated very handsomely at a rate of 10 to 15% of whatever you're paying in premiums, depending on the line of coverage. And so based on the accounts I'm calling on, 25 to 50 grand in revenue, are you, do you feel like you're getting that much service? Do you feel like you're getting that much value from it? Or is this just something where people are placing insurance and hoping for the best? And in many cases, that's what's happening. And I think that the problem is agents don't understand. Like, your job's not done once the policy's placed, right? You don't just hand it over to the service team and move on down the road. You also, they, they also don't understand that a lot of people get psychological, like they get psyched out about going after stuff like this because they think it's big and I'm never going to be prepared or whatever else. You got to look at every account that you go into, like it's an individual job that you're trying to get hired for. And if I'm going to go and try and get hired for $50,000 a year, I'm taking my A game, right? I'm going to be 100% prepared when I walk in the front door. I'm going to do everything I can to anticipate all the shade that's going to be thrown my way, how I'm going to overcome it, what, what wedges I'm going to drive. And I take time and prepare. It doesn't necessarily cost me money on the front end of a relationship to do those things. It costs me my time. It costs me having to sit down and research exactly how I'm going to proceed. And I think that's the other thing, man. People don't realize like, we can get on here and we can talk about having a million dollar book of business plus, and it sounds sexy, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're writing 400 bops a month or if you're writing a couple middle market accounts a month or even one middle market account a month, we're still grinding every single day. And the sales cycle is so much longer. So I wanna be very clear with people. Do we go in and get accounts on the first meeting? Absolutely, there are times that that happens. Do we go in and get an account 90 to 120 days before renewal? Absolutely. But I can also tell you there are plenty of accounts that take us 12, 18, 24 months. I had one that took me three years. Mm -hmm. And the difference is you just got to stay on it and you have to, you have to trust your process. You have to continue to grind. And it's not, you know, is it easy? It is. It, it really is. I mean, I boil it down to four things. I did this on a podcast yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. Four things. Show up on time. Return phone calls and emails in a timely fashion. Do what you say you're going to do. And if you don't know the answer, let them know you know the guy or the lady who knows the answer and you're going to get back to them and let them know. If you can do those four things, you're already ahead of all your competition. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to do those four things for 12, 18, 24 months before somebody realizes you are the real deal. And the longer that it goes, the more the gap, the more the gap widens between you and their current representation. I call, and so that, I think, I call that professional persistence. 100%. It's not obnoxious. Most of the time I ask for permission, right? Hey, I realize, you know, um, I, I appreciate your time today. Is it okay if I give you a call back in another 45, 90 days? I just want to check in. I, you know, I'm, I don't want to be obnoxious and bug you, but I want you to know that you have my attention and I just want to see if things are still going the way you think they are. And many times I'll give them one little nugget out of my playbook. Hey, maybe, maybe try this, see what happens. You mind if I follow up with you in a couple months, see how it's working for you? Things like that. That's not obnoxious, but you have to continue to just drip, drip, drip. I'm going to tell Especially you what, Especially on man. the bigger accounts. I mean, those th those are going to take longer. That's not going to... If you walk in and you you win that on the first, first meeting, then there's probably something wrong going on behind the scenes. I can tell you right now, <laughs> as much as we give him, give him heat, Duran is the absolute 
king of just leaning on people until they submit to him. I have never seen anybody as good as what Raphael is. It's just non-stop. He knows when to call them. And I mean, I went to a renewal. He, I, It showed up in my Facebook memories this morning where I, I had posted that he had brought on the biggest account he'd ever brought on. He pried, away, pried it away from a 20-plus year family relationship with the agency that had always, you know, not always represented them, but it had been 20, 25 years. And I went to the renewal meeting last week or the week before on that account with him. And I went because number one, I want, I want to make sure that I get some level of FaceTime with, it was on my producers clients too, because I don't see everybody all the time anymore. It's, it's a little different for me that I don't visit everybody, but I also just wanted to get some feedback. And I walked in and the owner of that company was like, I don't know where you found this guy, but he is all over it. He said, I have heard more from him in a year after he got the deal than I've heard that I heard from my other agent in 25 years. He mm -hmm. said, and that doesn't even count everything he did to stay in contact with me moving up the ladder. And then he looked at me and he goes, and I've seen you, the agency owner, more in the last year than I saw the guy that owned the agency I was with in the last 25. And he's seen me twice. Right. Once when we went in and got, oh, actually maybe three times, once to try and get the deal done, once to get the deal done, and once at renewal. The best part and about said, all well, of this is that requires literally no skill or knowledge no, at all. You just show it's just, up, it's man. just, yeah, it's just persistence. It's like, you know, it's one of your four points is just show up and, and, and that's it. Like you gotta, you gotta be persistent and stick with it. It's, you know, ultimately things are, can be boiled down to a numbers game. And I mean, that's what he's doing, you know? And I, I remember having the conversation with him actually early on and, and saying that, you know, what, um, as you continue to learn and get better, you're going to have to make up in numbers for what you lack in skill initially. And, and that's exactly what he did on that particular account. And obviously, you know, that was a great win for him and for our agency. Well, I mean, listen to this. We opened up the call with Josh talking about how he was getting prepared for the podcast. And your segue about making up for numbers due to lack of skill is not the segue I was looking for for this. But I don't, so I don't want this to throw shade at Josh because I'm piggybacking on what you said. What you said is valid. But Josh is a successful producer, right? Some people in our industry would say, well, Josh is a successful producer, so he has no problem making 28 calls in the morning because he has the skill set to get it done. I would argue that Josh is better at making those 28 calls because he made it a habit to always make those 28 calls. And to take it a step further, he already told you he made 28 calls. He only told us about one person that he's going to meet with. I don't know if he had anybody else that answered him on the phone or agreed to meet with him or not, but the point is that if you make it a habit and you go in every day and you do the same things that you know will work and you make the numbers happen. Look, our industry is nothing but a numbers game. Take your skill set, take your personality, take your value proposition and throw it to the side. You still have to call a certain number of people to get a certain number of appointments. Mm -hmm. You still have to meet with a certain number of people to get those people to agree to give you actionable work product that you have to go back and present to them. And you have to present to a certain number of people in order to get them to make the decision to fire their existing representation and hire you. That's a numbers game, period. That will never stop. The only thing that your skill set, your personality, and all and experience and all of those things will do is make the starting number less and your conversions higher as you yeah. go. But we're all still playing in the same numbers game. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this call that cold calling is not dead. I mean... It's the number one way. <laughs> It's the, it's, the, it's the number one way that I've gotten business. I mean, I hear a lot of people talk about, they use terms like channel partners and, you know, all, you know referral partners and, you know, technology. And I think technology is great. I mean, we, we talk a lot about technology. You know, we have the Salesforce and the mar marketing automation and the, the same, a lot of the stuff that you're doing with HubSpot and, you know, yeah, but that's all stuff that's working in the background. It doesn't mean I was you stop say, it's doing the only what you're doing. That's a, yeah, that's the icing on the cake. I don't ever count on it, and I know yeah. you don't either, but nobody should ever count on that as being your lead source. You have two ways to prospect, actively and prospect uh, passively. All of the automation, all of the other stuff is passive. My, I have two people that I actively prospect, direct clients and channel partnerships. 
That's it. I prospect for bankers, attorneys, accountants, and all of that just to see who I'm going to add as a referral partner for me because it is nice when you get to a certain stage in your career to be able to have people that are actively referring business in. And I'm at a point now where I have a lot of people that are just consistently handing stuff over to me because they know that I'm going to deliver for them and I've always taken care of them. And there's a symbiotic relationship there because I'm also handing things back to them. But then there's that other subset of people that I know need my help. And those are the people I'm going to go to directly. But if I've done a good job of the channel partnership uh, networking and I have built that base, guess what? It's a whole lot easier to make sure that you're checking to find out if people have common relationships inside of your channel partner network that can get you into the people that you're actively prospecting cold. You should never rely on a CRM. You should never rely on telemarketers. You should never rely on direct mail. Those are all nice to haves. Those are all things that are going to work in the background for you, just like creating content and posting it online. But in my opinion, and it's been proven time and time again, the most successful salespeople that I know will go out and wear out that shoe leather and knock on doors every single day. And if you're calling to set your own appointments, I, I classify that as the same thing. It's the only thing you can control. All the other stuff is not really in your control, right? Yep. Yeah, so I retired a, a pair of shoes the other day, and <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking for this picture. But, but literally, there is a hole in the bottom of these shoes. I mean, I, had, I wanted to stick it. I gave these shoes to Goodwill. And I wanted to stick a note in there. And I wanted to say, don't judge these shoes by the hole that's in the bottom of them, right? And, and it just means that I, I went to manufacturing plants. I went to construction sites. I mean, they're not my, my best shoes by any stretch of the imagination. But I wanted a pair of dress shoes that I could wear to these type places. And they got a hole in the bottom of them. And I, and, and I finally retired them. But at the end of the day, I mean, that is what it takes, I mean, it, it takes... You should have put those bad boys in a shadow box and hung them on your office wall. <laughs> and every time you bring a new producer in to interview them, show them those shoes and ask them if they think they could fill them. Make sure that shadow box is airtight, though. You don't want... You don't <laughs> <Yeah>. want <to laughs> well, I, I can tell you mo most of the BORs that I, that I have gotten... Look, guys, check this out. Oh, I don't know if you can see this in the, in, in the light, but like... Oh, kind of, yeah. The, the, the light's not doing good, but there's a hole right there in, in the shoes. So. I'm picking up what you're putting down. But that's just, I don't know, that's just the thing. I mean, I think this is a great business because you can choose your clients. Um, you can identify the people that you want to you go after and whether it's, it's relationships that you have that can help you get in there or picking up the phone and calling them yourself. Um, I, you know, I just don't think there's any substitute for that. And I think that the automation gives you insight into how people think. It gives you insight into what people are doing. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is still a relationship-based business. People buy from people that they know and that they like and that they believe are, are competent and uh, that, that can demonstrate that. And so, I mean, just, just for me, that's what I've built my career on. And, and if I was a brand new, if, if there's a brand new person that's listening to this podcast and, and you want to go produce a million dollars in revenue, then I would tell you the formula is pretty easy. Um, there's a lot of ancillary stuff, infrastructure stuff that as your agency grows that you have to deal with. But at the end of the day, it's just about talking to people and sharing your story with them, learning about their story and being a person that's helpful. I mean, I've had accounts before that I have not won because I gave them some good advice. Um, I mean, David and I we, and Kyle, we were talking about an account just before we, we got on here and the guy was close to his expiration. He had met me for two hours and I just said, look, why don't we just keep building our relationship? Let's keep growing. I'm going to be doing this for a long time. And you know, this is a, a six figure revenue account, but instead of what I call humping his leg and trying to get it done now, when I, when I feel like he, he I maybe could have pushed him all the way over the edge, but I would have been pushing him over the edge. Yeah, and how's your relationship starting off on the right yeah. foot that way, right? Yeah. I tell mm -hmm. people all the time, I'd rather represent you for 20 years than one. Let's yeah. make sure we do it the right way the first time. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I, and the other thing I would say for people in the, in the middle market is that, I mean, the most accounts I've ever written in my career in one year is like 22. Um, so, you know, this is a game where you might write three accounts in January, but you might not write anything until March. Or the end mm -hmm. of March, you might not write. Or anything. May, or depending May. on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you may knock down. I mean, we knocked down over a hundred thousand in revenue in the first quarter. Um, but you know what? Uh, I, 
big goose egg in uh in in May. So, but July's looking good, you know, August is looking good, and, and you just have to you have to look at it that way and, and realize that a lot of the stuff about flow and I get this many leads a week or this many leads a day or whatever. I mean, that's great positioning and you know a great way to flex, but. David, as you say all the time, all that stuff is for show, but the re- the revenues for you know is is the dough. And so, well, here's just- here's the other thing, man. You know, in the middle market, we've just told you people it could be twelve to eighteen to twenty four months. You know, I think part of the problem is people go out, they get that quick hit, and they get a little taste of the sweet nectar of middle market revenue, and then they think, oh, I've got it made. This is so going to happen all the time. Your lips. Yeah, you, you've got to continuously keep filling that pipeline. You can't stop prospecting. You can't just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, I've, wrote, I've written four accounts, so I'm obviously going to write 12 for the year since I wrote four in the first quarter. No, you're not if you don't have them in your pipeline. No, you're not if you're not getting up every day and making the 28 calls or whatever it is that you have to do, sending out the handwritten notes, determining who you're going to go in and walk right up in the lobby of their business and introduce yourself like you're the guy they're going to higher i mean you have to do that every single day you have to always be adding to the pipeline and at some point maybe you'll get to the stage where you can be a little bit pickier and a little bit more choosy and who you're going to represent but i mean here's the thing josh hit the nail on the head we do get to pick who our clients are and the way we get to pick who our clients are is because we get to pick who our prospects are Mm -hmm. so if you got a prospect and they're not somebody that you want as a client quit Quit screwing with them. Get rid of them. Cut bait and move on. I've used the analogy millions of times. You know, anytime I go meet with somebody, I envision a table that's got an empty chair sitting at that table. It, around the, all the other chairs in the conference room are my current book of business clients. And I'm asking myself, when I walk into that meeting, is this person deserve a seat at that table? Does he deserve to sit with everybody else in my book of business? Or by bringing him or her into my book, is it going to diminish the value of my book to everybody else that I represent? And that's how you have to look at it. When, when I've looked at the producers that I admire over the course of my career, the guys that came before me, the guys that you meet and rub elbows with at CIC and some of these networking events, the one thing I can tell you is they chose who they represented they had a good reputation because you knew they only dealt with the cream of the crop and when you deal with the cream of the crop one time it's easier to deal with them two three and four but the first second that you taint that water you're out you had you put your entire book at risk and i learned that early and thank god i've never strayed from that but I think we are in the position where we go out and we whore ourselves out for revenue just to bring people on because we have production pressure and everything else. And it is no more difficult to be selective in who you prospect, selective in who you actually bring into your agency or your book of business than it is to go out and do what, what you do without doing any of that. And the, the end reward is much greater. I think you should be able to, to put your ideal prospect on the back of a, a three by five index card it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't require a, a long, drawn-out study or anything like that. You just need to put them on the back of a 3 by 5 index card, and you need to go. And I look at prospecting like a bucket of golf balls. And if, if you have a, a full bucket of golf balls on the range, and there's a ball that's, that's cracked open or scuffed up or whatever, you're just going to take that ball, and you're going you're gonna to knock it to the side. You're not even going to hit that ball, right? But if that's the only ball that's in your bucket... Mm-hmm. then you're going to swing at that sucker as hard as you can swing at it. And that's the thing. You have to have a lot of balls in your bucket, and that way when you come across that ball that's got the cover tore off, you just toss that thing to the side and you let somebody else go that. I mean, 80% of the accounts are written by 20% of the agents, I mean, at, at, at the end of the day. And so, Did you ever notice that Josh explains things like Forrest Gump's mom? Like, Josh <laughs> has a way of saying things make me understand. <laughs> Like the well, bucket of golf balls is absolutely Southern brilliance at its finest, sir. <laughs> well, that's, I, I can't take credit for that one, but I, I, I did learn that one along the way. I, I've been a pretty good listener throughout my life. And, and growing up in the country, I feel like we have to talk in ways that, that people can understand because I think sometimes when we try to impress people with our, with, with our you know, flavorful, Words, insurance in, knowledge indemnification and, and all they don't this care kind of, they don't they don't they, care it's like it's like when i go to the doctor's office i mean that they, they, they'll tell me like well i'm gonna prescribe you some flaticanase for your for your nose or you know for your allergies and i'm like what i mean 
It's like, I don't even know what this stuff is. It's like, are you talking about Flonase? Like, you know, I mean, what is this, right? And look, I'm a smart guy. I mean, I graduated from University of Georgia with honors, but I don't really know a whole lot about that that business, right, that they're in. And so I hate going somewhere and feeling dumb, even though I'm not a dumb person. And I think it's... it's you know what's worse is when you walk up into somebody else's business and make them feel dumb. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, and that, that is a, a very important thing is, is it, it is a very delicate balance, in my opinion, to be able to talk to somebody, point out the flaws that, that are, that are there and some things that need to be changed without making them feel like it's their fault. And, and to me, there's a science to this business and that's all the mod analysis and, and, and all the technical side that we do. But really the art to the business is everything we've been talking about, about, about getting people fired. And I'll, t- um, I'll tell you, yeah. man, it's funny. Cause as you were talking about, like we're th- I'm thinking about this as we're talking about making people feel stupid in their own business. I remember the line and I know I'm going to botch it from Hoosiers where Dennis Hopper talks about, you know, you can go out and get buck naked and bark at the moon, and then you can do the same thing in my living room. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the same. It's the same premise. And I can with get that, a good you know, look at a T-bone steak. <laughs> yeah, there you go. God, Tim Gould, my favorite. Um, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I also know that there's only one more thing besides ending this podcast that stands between me and officially checking out to go to Key West for a long weekend, and that's Scotty the Body. Mr. Scott Howell is coming on this afternoon, and that ought to be talking about Southern brilliance and saying things so people can understand them. That guy's got a story and an explanation for everything, and I can't wait to have him on. But I'm super stoked that we had Josh on. I think this is a valuable episode. Everybody's Mm going to get something from it. Some people might get butt hurt. Okay, that's all right. You needed it. You needed it. Just call it what it is. Nobody and, and, walked up in your living room to make you feel stupid. You tuned into our channel and you stayed. So it was a little bit self-inflicted, but some of us need that wake-up call every now and again, me included. So I'm glad we had you on, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on. Yep. And tell them where they can find you, man. Let's get you another 100 Facebook friends that aren't the uh, <laughs> internet trolls. All right, I'm going to give people two pieces of advice as we leave, all right? And I've, I've started giving everybody this, this advice. I was talking to a group of people uh, a few weeks back on a panel, and here, here's the advice. So when I first got in the, in the business, this is what I was told. The only people that leave the insurance business are people that don't sell enough insurance. And so I would just encourage you, if you're out there, that you need to uh, to win more clients, and you need to uh, grow your book of business, and you need to grow your revenue. That's the most important thing that that you can do. And how it was put to me is it's like, hey, if you don't produce that much, then you're not going to be here very long. So I had a lot of motivation uh, to go out there and produce. The second thing I want to say, and I've been telling everybody this, is that there's two things that only you can do, is be a husband, wife, and a father, mother to your children. Those are things that you can't delegate, you can't automate, you can't find anybody else to do those things but you. So go out there and be successful for your agency, for, for your employees, for everybody that's in your ecosystem, your family, but remember that when you have to choose, and sometimes we have to choose, always choose your family over your business. So if you want to reach out to me and you want to talk about anything we talked about today or anything related to your life, your family, I'll be glad to talk with you. I'll Actually, I'll give out my email address, which is jgurley, G-U-R-L-E-Y, and that's at hm-advisors.com. Um, and feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you my number. It's 478-542-1882. Call me anytime. Cool. Good deal, man. Thanks, Kyle, Josh. take us out. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Key West, baby. CBKs, right? Let's get yeah, out of here. Dude, next year I expect you to be there, man. I mean, I the virus can. is over. I could have probably been there this year, but... Um, I didn't feel comfortable with it, man. Yeah, I know it how you operate. Probably, yeah, probably wouldn't have been the best move, but hey, it'll be fun for you guys. I'll be there next time. I, I think uh, I think everybody needs to get to get acclimated to what the D's is like when he's let loose in Key West <laughs> prior to actually exposing. I don't him know. To I it, don't know so. if you can. Pre- that's not something you can prepare for. It's just something you have to experience. 
There you go. Hey, hey, All right, tom- every- tomorrow night, me, you, Ashley, and Annie, right? Yes, sir. There you go. Can't wait, man. We're walking into that joint with some arm candy. You better be prepared to fight or you fight your way out. That's it, man. All right, Everybody fellas. have a great week. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 